0: all the feels on this one. Because that's what the science says. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. Let's talk about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions.
1: And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health.
0: Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true, whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome back to The Whole View, episode 475. I'm looking at the topic name, and I'm like, oh, this will be a good one. I'm excited (laughs) for us to dive in because I know it's a joke of mine to tell people all the time, like, Don't try to make liver burgers on day one if you've been eating McDonald's. It's a bit, it's a bit of a stretch. Um, And I'm glad that we're going to kind of tackle this because I know where we both stand on this and um, the concept of uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good is something that I actually just wrote about today. So I feel very synergistic with this show and I'm excited to help our listener who asked a question, Kelly. I also am very excited about Kelly's question. You know, we've covered
1: the idea of nutrient density on the show. Um, well, there's been 475 episodes, so approximately 475 times. I think it's really fundamental to um, our approach, but also, you know, it's what the the science really supports as as being. I think the the number one most important key tenet of any health-promoting diet, is that that diet has to meet our nutritional needs. But I think where the the big stumbling block is, is organ meat, because it's unfamiliar for a lot of people. Um, that means that it maybe doesn't taste, because it doesn't taste familiar, it can be really easy to have aversions to it. Uh, we have all of these different sort of societal um. St- stigma around, right? Like liver, like we all think it's gross, whether we've ever had it or not. And uh, maybe we had, I mean, I know my mom used to make us eat liver. I didn't like it as a kid. So I have all these like childhood (laughs) traumatic memories around being forced to eat liver. I mean, I think these types of experiences are really common. So when we talk about eating a NutriVore diet and making the foundation of that diet being nutrient-dense foods that includes eating tons and tons of vegetables, but also having some organ meat and having some seafood as well. It can be, it can be a, a, like a barrier to entry, right? So it can really feel like, um, okay, I understand the concept, but no. And what I really want to do with Kelly's question is kind of tackle this in a little bit of a different way than we have on the show before, where we, where we've really focused on all of the gentle ease our way into organ meat strategies and we'll definitely talk about some of those as well today and kind of sum up some of our favorites but I really want to I want to take a step back and really look at what is it that organ meat actually has to offer us and can we like can we actually get those nutrients from somewhere else what is what is the actual data I actually crunched a ton of numbers for this podcast to really be able to get into the the actual like facts behind what is special about organ meat and if if we take the the case of somebody who is just not going to eat it what is the next best thing to meet the same kind of nutritional shortfalls that organ meat would help us meet
0: ooh that's interesting Because my solution is to just take a bunch of supplements. (laughs) Maybe before we get into solutions, we should actually read Kelly's question.
1: So Kelly wrote, hey, ladies, thank you for the amazing podcast. Glad I found you. I've been following the AIP since January, sort of. I found that unintentionally, I focused solely on what not to eat rather than paying attention on what to eat on the AIP, being that I felt my diet ahead of starting the AIP was already pretty healthy. I was catching up on past episodes and realized I had completely missed the fact that following the AIP is intended to be focused on adding in foods. I went back to my yes, no list and took a closer look. I discovered I was sorely lacking in one area, organ meats. I cannot get my head around consuming these. So my question is, can I benefit from the AIP without them? Are there other ways to get the same benefits of organ meat through upping other yes foods? Sorry if you've already covered this. I'm slowly working through past shows. Thanks again for all you do, Kelly.
0: Okay, first of all, I feel like Kelly might be Canadian because she's apologizing. (laughs) When really I should be apologizing. And I said, sure, there because I'm being sarcastic because Kelly's listening to old shows. So Kelly... I'm sorry.
1: Just don't go <laughs> too far back, Kelly. That's what we're saying. Just, just the last few years are great. And then uh, and then just keep up with
0: the new ones. <laughs> that said, uh, kudos and high fives to Kelly for realizing what we try to emphasize but is so often missed, which is that um, working on an elimination diet that is aimed to improve your health, which is what AIP is, uh, Autoimmune Protocol, is to focus on getting you to nutrient density. And I know that we're going to kind of revisit this concept of NutriVore, but I feel like because it was brought about as part of a paleo diet and paleo was just so dogmatic in the way that it was portrayed by the media and different kinds of people as a limiting diet that people just focus on what to remove rather than, what we try to emphasize, which is what we need to be adding to our plate, right? Instead of saying that we're going to remove a glutinous bun, we're saying that we're going to add a big salad. And maybe people don't want to hear it that way. (laughs) But I think for my mentality, that was a game changer. And I love that Kelly got that and is there. And so before we kind of like jump into this nuance of organ meat, which I'm actually jazzed and trying to like scroll down in the notes to see what you're going to say about like replacing <laughs> those nutrients. um, I think it's just really important to emphasize that like, You can be anything and do it your way, period. Like, whether it's AIP or, you know, you want to be a disc jockey, like, you know, you can do anything and do it your way. And one of the things that you and I used to say all the time years and years ago, but I think bears repeating here is if you can do everything but like one thing, you're doing great. Just keep going. You're doing the best that you can and then maybe you'll be ready for that next step to do more. But I mean, I just want to give like major kudos and Kelly for for being where she is and how far she's come because so many people are like, "Oh, I haven't tried that. You know, I'm I can't possibly eat healthy in general because I love diet coke." Okay, we'll just make every other, you know, change that you feel comfortable with introducing nutrient density and all these things and then it your system will be that much stronger for whatever choice you make that might not be quote-unquote perfect right because nobody will ever be perfect Sarah and I have talked about the things that we enjoy that are not in a perfect list and that's okay because overall we're focused on health and that's really what matters there is a a nuance to the autoimmune protocol when it comes to elimination, because we're trying to heal. So I know you're going to kind of get into that. But I wanted to make the general statement just to kind of like lay that groundwork a little bit and also give like elbow bumps to Kelly. Uh,
1: No, I'm so glad you did. Because I think it's not just the paleo diet that has been traditionally defined by what you don't eat. I think it's pretty much every diet since the 70s, right? Low-fat diets are based on avoiding fatty foods. Low-carb diets are are based on avoiding carbohydrate-rich foods, Um, all the different variations of that. I think it's actually, you know, even if you think of, you know, traditional caloric restriction diets, they're still based on avoiding calorie-dense sort of junk foods, right? So I think the concept of Nutrivor is super important because one of the things that all of these different dietary templates have done, including the ones that are based in some science, as well as the ones that are just f- fad diets, sort of based on dogma and hearsay and the kind of gray world of, you know, preliminary science and, and some of them in between, they have all done us a, a really great disservice by yeah. having us focus on. What we're not eating, a diet isn't healthy or not based on what you don't eat. It's what actually makes it into your mouth that actually is going to nourish your body or not, depending on the quality of that food. So you can't say that a diet is healthy or not based on what's avoided. It's really the foods that we're eating that is the major determinant of whether or not that's a health promoting diet. And it really wasn't until the nutrient density focus of the AIP, which I brought into it, inspired by Dr. Terry Walls and the Walls Protocol, her TEDx Iowa City um, uh, talk in, like, two, I think it was 2011, was very, very eye-opening for me and really got me into researching the importance of nutrients for immune function. And that was what brought the nutrient density focus into the AIP, was my research that I did um, after learning from from Dr. Walls. and I think that the AIP has always sort of stood out as a as a protocol because it, it has equal focus on eliminations, which are about identifying your triggers, as well as nutrient density, which is about providing the nutritional resources that your immune system needs to regulate itself. And that's where NutriVore was sort of born out of that approach rather than just applying it to a therapeutic dietary template. Nutrivore is a broader concept that's super simple, right? The whole idea of Nutrivore, as we talked about in in depth in episode 437, is to fully meet the body's physiologic needs for essential and non-essential nutrients from the foods we eat. So the idea is that we just get all of our nutrients from the diet. Uh, Without consuming excess energy, so staying within our our daily caloric requirements, whatever that is, right, up or down, depending on pregnancy or activity, right? And it respects non-essential nutrients like fiber or phytonutrients or non-essential or conditionally essential amino acids like glutamine and arginine or non-essential health-promoting fatty acids like um, the long-chain omega-3s or CLA, non-essential vitamin-like compounds like CoQ10. It respects non-essential nutrients equally to essential nutrients. And that's because the the terminology of essential versus non-essential is a little bit misleading. It makes it sound like non-essential is not important, but it doesn't actually mean that. The, the difference is if you don't get an essential nutrient, you die. Um, if you don't get a non-essential nutrient, you may not die, but you're not going to be healthy. There are they're actually all required to support optimal health. And the other key aspect of NutriVore is that it's about the overall quality of the whole diet. So it, it takes a big step back from these dietary templates that have been traditionally defined based on what we avoid, and that tend to have a list of I mean, I remember when I first started learning about the paleo diet, there wasn't even lists of yes foods back then. It was just lists of no foods. Here's all the things you don't eat. And you kind of just had to to infer what you would eat based on what you don't. Um, you know, I think things have become, there's better resources now. And there's now lists of foods that you can eat and lots of great cookbooks and meal plans and things like that out there. But what NutriVore does is there's no... Red light and green light foods. There's no yes foods and no foods. It's about looking at the diet as a whole and saying, are we meeting our nutritional needs based on these food choices? So it's not it's not a diet in the traditional sense. It's more like a diet modifier. So it's something that you can apply to other dietary structures. So it's already integrated into the autoimmune protocol, but you could you could eat NutriVore paleo or <laughs> nutrivore. Mediterranean or nutrivore plant-based. Certainly the more foods that are eliminated on a dietary template that you're trying to apply nutrivore on top of is going to make it more challenging to hit that goal of getting all of the nutrients that we need from foods. Um and there's I think some some diets that that eliminate all sources of s- some nutrients. So those diets are probably not compatible with nutrivore. So I would say veganism would be very very challenging to do with a NutriVore approach because of the nutrients that are exclusive to animal foods Um, I do
0: I do just want to call out we have a specific show on that too so where we talked about if your 11 year old child insists on going vegan what are the best options you can make um but I just want to remind people of that show we we can definitely put a link. I don't have the number in front of me.
1: We can put a link in the show notes um, for anybody who's interested in that. Um, and I would say on the, on the flip side, most implementations of a ketogenic diet are not going to be compatible with NutriVore, Carnivore diet, right? Thinking of diets that eliminate all food sources of specific nutrients, those are going to be the ones that are, you know, too too extreme to be compatible with the nutrivore philosophy, but most other like right, most common diets are absolutely compatible. And it's one of the things that I have been working on. I guess here's here's my big announcement. I've been building a new website, nutrivore.com for about a year and um we'll be launching in November, but the coming soon page is live so you can go to nutrivore.com now and and get a little sneak peek of the look and feel and, and what the, the website's going to, to look like. Um, but it really came out of wanting to emphasize this really important aspect of eating healthily. If you look at the science and look at diets that actually have some therapeutic benefit, the thing that they have in common is that however they're structured, they increase the nutrient density of the person's diet. Um, Typically, it means they're eating a lot more vegetables, a lot more fruit, a lot more, um, you know, healthy whole foods, a lot more fish, healthier fats, right? That's sort of the thing that's in common between all of these different diets. And I think that, um, you know, I certainly am somebody who benefited immensely from eliminations. I think the autoimmune protocol is incredibly powerful. But there's a whole group of people out there who could benefit from increasing the nutrient density of their diets, who don't necessarily have a compelling health reason to go through eliminations, who can tolerate some gluten if they're going to eat some gluten. Um, and these principles are so fundamental that I think it's really important to be communicating the value of nutrient-dense foods sort of outside of any particular dietary structure or especially diet dogma, which is really what I see NutriVore as being, again, sort of a diet modifier and not a diet itself. So um, in building NutriVore.com, the place where I had to start my thought process was how do you quantify nutrient density? So we've been talking about in the AIP community for about a decade of the value of nutrient-dense foods, and we have an idea that you know, foods that have a lot of nutrients per calorie are organ meat, fish, shellfish, vegetables, fruit, and mushrooms, but how do you put a number to that? And I think that's really important to do, because even in the USDA guidelines right now, there is a recommendation to eat more nutrient-dense foods, and then no definition of what that is. So I started my sort of foundational work for NutriBoard.com by going through the entire body of scientific literature on what's called nutrient profiling. So nutrient profiling is basically the study um, of uh, nutrients and foods and the science of categorizing foods based on the nutrients they contain. And what I was particularly interested in was various scores and indices that quantify nutrients. It's typically nutrients per calorie. Um, They're called, they have all kinds of the nutrient rich foods index, the nutrient density score. Um, There's a whole pile of different ones, the nutrients for calorie index, there's a whole pile of them. And I, I initially intended on basically combing through the literature and picking an existing like nutrient density score to use as the basis for the educational resources that I'm creating for nutrifor.com because what I really want nutrifor.com to be is this really like detailed educational resource that is purely based on scientific studies and nutrient profiling to basically help help everyone understand what are the you know what's what's the best bang for our buck in terms of foods that we can choose, right? What are the foods that are going to give us the most nutrients? And I ended up, it took me about two months to basically read through all of the research uh, in nutrient profiling, and I <laughs> ended up with the research going, I don't like any of these nutrient density scores. I don't. I didn't like a single one. I, I could just, every single one had flaws and it felt like picking one was basically which trade-off. And so there was a variety of reasons why I didn't like different ones. Some I felt um, were really too limited in the number of nutrients they included. Some of them penalized uh, for containing sort of these like demonized nutrients like cholesterol uh, or sodium, which I thought wasn't right approach. Um, And there's there's even like one of the things that I thought was um, really sad to see was because there's not really a, a consensus among the scientists who are doing this work about which nutrients to include in the scores, there's all these different papers that are trying to pick which nutrients to include to retrofit a nutrient density score back to the USDA dietary guidelines Keeping in mind that the USDA dietary guidelines were not created with nutrient density in mind, um, and so it's it's almost like trying to make the score align with guidelines that it should be the other way around, right? It should be that we use nutrient profiling to understand what are the most nutrient dense foods, and then see how that might impact dietary guidelines, right? That is what the NutriVore approach will allow us to do. Let's just understand how nutrient dense these foods are. And then let's figure out how to, you know, choose from different food groups. Um, how do we craft a plate so that we're getting all the nutrients we need from the foods we eat in a way that's like simple and we don't have to give it a ton of thought. So then I I basically came to the very sad conclusion that the only way forward was to spend six months developing my own nutrient profiling method, um, which I'm calling the NutriVore score which I, I really put a ton of thought into um, basically creating a score that just represented the inherent nutrient content of foods. Um, it it There's nothing that's weighted, there's nothing that's penalized, um, and it's very comprehensive. So instead of a lot of these scores use sort of like nine to 15 nutrients, some use as little as three or four, um, the NutriVore score uses 33 different nutrients, and it's basically all of the nutrients that we can get pretty complete data on. I would use more if there was more nutrient data available on different foods, and it's quite likely that over time, as more data is collected, that the NutriVore score will actually incorporate more nutrients into it. Um, so once I developed that score, um, I then manually <laughs> calculated the NutriVore score for about 300 foods, which again took a few months. Um, But this has been the most interesting interesting process for me to really just seek understanding of what are the most nutrient-dense foods. And I'm explaining this because this is the approach that I want to take to exploring Kelly's question on what other foods could supply similar nutrients to organ meat. Because I don't think I could have really... Answered this question as rigorously without going through all of this work of calculating NutriVore scores and really understanding how different food groups are different from each other in terms of the nutrients they contain and also um, the nutrient density, so how much nutrients per calorie, but then how they work together to supply nutrients. So, one of the things that's really important to keep in mind. Uh, with just a nutri philosophy as a whole is that there's there's no such thing as a single nutritionally complete food for the human diet. And there's actually very few species out there that live on a single food. And so we can't actually meet our nutritional needs with a limited number of foods. We need foods from different groups to supply different nutrients. So it's actually really important to seek variety and the way that we can understand how to choose from all of the foods that are available to us is by using something like the NutriVore Score, but also understanding the value of different food groups. So it's been just a really fantastic tool for me in both building NutriBoard.com and really highlighting the most nutrient-dense foods that we can choose, but also in being able to to really dig into Kelly's question and really re-examine this... I think really amazing question. What if I do all of the things except organ meat and Kelly very specifically asked, are there some other foods that I can eat more of that will provide me with the same same nutrients? And I think that's such an important question for anyone with any kind of barrier to the idea of organ meat, whether that's I don't I don't have a place where I can get it, I think it's disgusting, or, Hey, I'm just not ready yet. That's just not where I'm at. Um, I'm new to this whole thing and that's going to make me turn around and walk out the door. Like, I think that, that examining this question in detail is going to be super, super helpful, not just for Kelly, but for anybody who's kind of new to this idea of nutrient density.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Green Chef. Sarah, how many times do we hear from people that they struggle to implement NutriVore? Approximately one billion.
1: (laughs) When we were asked to partner with Green Chef, the first thing I did was check ingredients. And I love how veggie forward the meals are. Since you're making them at home, you can use quality fats and omit spices or
0: veggies that may not be part of your personal template. Same. The balanced meal option looks great for our family. I love that everything is labeled gluten-free. And I personally recommend, even if you don't feed six, to go with that option because it reduces the price per meal around $5, even less with our discount. Um, And then you'll have leftovers for lunch, which is such a win-win. Green Chef options
1: include balanced living, keto slash paleo, or plant-powered. From there, you can customize the
0: specific meals you'd like. Pineapple teriyaki salmon looks fantastic right now. I cannot wait to try the Mediterranean chicken salad. I love me a fancy salad, but usually grab it out because I'm just not creative with those things at home as much, but I agree with you, all the sesame and ginger and teriyaki flavors that are gluten-free look fantastic.
1: Over 30 meal choices every week give you the flexibility to switch plans, so you'll never have to sacrifice taste for nutrition. You can enjoy restaurant-quality dishes in the comfort of your own home.
0: I love that it means I need to think about grocery shopping and meal planning less. And on days that Matt works, it's usually a leftover free-for-all here, but uh, Green Chef is a much better option. Must be why they're America's number one meal kit for eating well. <laughs> Go to greenchef.com
1: wholeview100 and use code wholeview100
0: to get $100 off, including free shipping. If you want to try the number one meal kit for eating well, that's greenchef.com/wholeview100 and use code wholeview100 to get one hundred dollars <laughs> off, including free shipping. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hydrojug. They make fantastic vessel with an easy grip handle, do you know what I'm talking about, that makes hydration easy.
1: Well, actually, Stacey, their
0: tagline is hydration made easy. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, I went off copy because Matt has been using these and loving them. He works all day in the summer heat and had been feeling off, craving caffeine for energy, and wasn't really a big fan. So I thought maybe he was dehydrated. I got him one of these. They're BPA-free, like a giant jug, and immediately he felt better. Duh.
1: I love them, too, for camping and especially for when I'm on long hikes with the dog. The carry loop
0: and integrated handle means it's accessible to carry with you wherever you go. But, of course, you don't have to be super active to have one of these. I like to leave it at my desk to sip on throughout the day to make sure I'm getting my daily water intake. It means less time on refills, and with the wide mouth, you can add things to the jug, like supplements, ice, or fruit. Like I love to put lemon and lime in mine. Oh, good idea. Did you know that 75% of Americans
1: are chronically dehydrated? Water is crucial to our health. Every cell and tissue inside our body requires water to function. And as we've actually talked about in a deep dive on the show before, hydration is even important for the gut microbiome. And it's not just like any amount of water, but a gallon a day about could make a huge impact on our
0: overall health. HydroJug holds half a gallon of water, has a wide mouth opening, we actually got their straw inserts too, which I love, and has an integrated handle with an optional carrying loop. It's also dishwater safe and shatterproof. The sleeve it comes in has a great pocket for things like a cell
1: phone or keys. Every day, roughly 60 million plastic water bottles are thrown
0: away. So by choosing HydroJug, you are becoming part of the movement to stop the waste. Listeners, HydroJug is offering you 10% off with code WHOLEVIEW. Head to thehydrojug.com to customize your jug and use code WHOLEVIEW for 10% off your purchase. That's thehydrojug.com slash
1: discount slash WHOLEVIEW.
0: Agreed. And, um... I don't know how much of this is like a reveal to people because I happen to have had a little insider information for a while. <laughs> and um, I think one of the things that I really love about this is that it really does kind of like ditch the dietary dogma of good or bad and just instead focuses on nutrients. And I think one of the things that, you know, I've grown to understand throughout this journey with myself is that not everything needs to be about optimal either that you can have a very logical mind right so if i put together the foods that i'm eating on these scores like there's there's like room left over not in a uh ww sort of way because i know they don't call themselves weight watchers anymore right like i used to put my my little score together and I'd be like hey, how much cool whip can i have like that was <laughs> the best know. choice for myself right like this is more about like okay, I know that if I'm focused on really having vegetables and fruit at breakfast that I don't have to pack on like 10 servings at dinner time, or what, you know what I mean? Like it helps me balance out this idea that there there is flexibility within how I want to choose to eat, but that when I'm nourishing myself, I'm focusing on those foods that provide optimal nutritional value for my body to be nourished and that would produce a high NutriVore score, right? So I'm waiting for the pamphlet so that I can choose like my top 20 foods and just make sure that, you know, that I'm like having those regularly, but that they're also going to be balanced because one of the things that, you know, I've been doing with testing and all this kind of stuff is realizing that I might not have as many B vitamins as my body needs, even if I'm eating more than I thought I needed to and taking liver pills as supplements, for example. So um, I think that's another thing that I want to emphasize to people that, you know, we're going to talk about some of these foods that are um, alternatives to that organ meat, um, but that your body and its needs for the nutrients that are in those are bio individual, and you won't know what you need until you test. And so, I mean, I've been taking. Here's the irony is when the kids were little, liver was their first food. Avocado, banana, and liver were my kids' first three foods. I knew enough how nutritionally valuable liver was. This is before. I had my like awakening, right? When my kids before my changes, when my kids were little to give them liver, but literally the minute that they were like able to eat off of our table, that went out the ta- that went out the door and I never brought liver back in for anybody ever again. And so, like I knew enough to know that it was nutritionally dense and powerful, but it was never part of my plate growing up. It's not a favorite flavor of mine palate wise. And it's something that I have to like, seek out to make like, if we're going to make a gravy, okay, let's make sure we get organ meats to put into the gravy or, um, you know, I used to make liver burgers, I'm gonna be honest, we don't do that anymore. And so okay, how can I get this B vitamin in and I had intentionally be take been taking liver pills. And I would have thought I was like, check the box. Good to go on some of these nutrients. And then when you test, it really just depends on your body. So while Sarah's going to talk about these, these scores and this kind of stuff, just keep in mind that how your body processes that is going to be different than the person next to you. And that the only way you know is to test. I love
1: everything you just said. Um, I want to, I want to Even that I don't eat liver. (laughs)
0: You don't love that. (laughs) I don't love that
1: part, but you've you've found a way around it, which I think is also you know where this conversation is going to end up is you know and here are some easy ways to get the organ meat nutrients in that don't involve actually chewing, (laughs) cooking, preparing, and then chewing and swallowing that organ meat. So I think um, I think we we definitely need to to summarize that, even though we've we've definitely dedicated whole shows to that before. Um, But one of the things that I I wanted to highlight was actually one of the first few things you said, which is this idea that choosing more nutrient-dense foods gives us more wiggle room for some less nutrient-dense options in the diet. And it's one of the things that I think is so powerful about the NutriVore concept is that because it's about the whole diet because we're not saying that's a bad food and that's a good food we're getting away from diet culture with this approach is it also gives us the flexibility to indulge in something like it it fully embraces that that idea because if i make a meal that's you know, liver and kale and mushrooms and butternut squash, you know, these super nutrient dense options, um, I'm going to be able to have something that's basically an empty calorie type food and still meet my nutritional needs and still stay within a, a appropriate caloric intake for my body. And so it, it actually is, it's not like counting points. It's not being rewarded. Um, but at the same time, it really helps to emphasize like, what are these foods that give us the best again, like nutritional bang for our caloric buck and, uh, where are the like wiggle room foods that the more of these awesome, super high neutral score foods that I choose, like what, what are the, I don't know, quality of life foods maybe we can think of them as, um, it actually gives us the space to have those without guilt, because if you look at the things that really matter, did I get all of my nutrients from the foods that I ate today and, you know, stay within an appropriate caloric intake for me, then check. Yes, I did. I win. Like that's, that's the most important thing. And so I think that it's one of the, the most, I think, empowering things
0: that the NutriWare philosophy has to offer us. I just want to pick apart something you said. Just because I know we're both working on this, um, but it is, it's not, um, if we're going to say we're winning, it's we're winning because we're nourished, right? Not because Mm -hmm. like something was good. And if you have a day where your nutritional needs are not met that day, the other thing that I love about this concept is that your body will have stores of the nutrients that it needs so that that's not like becoming a chronic thing where your nutrient depleted and that would negatively affect your health, right? So if we, if we're using phrase like winning or negative or those kinds of things, and I know that you mean this, Sarah, and so we're just, we're working on reframing diet culture, both of ourselves to, to say like, this is not about um, anything other than Meeting your nutritional needs so that you can thrive and feel good and you have energy and you're nourished and you're digesting things well. And back to Kelly's question, I don't know what her particular autoimmune need is, but if you have an autoimmune disease, that becomes particularly important as you're working to heal your body from the inside out with not just the foods that we're talking about, but also lifestyle factors that's another thing that you add on AIP right like extra sleep and those sort of things so I just kind of wanted to clarify because I think that this I'm I'm gonna kind of like walk on eggshells a bit when we talk about these scores because it does it has that feel or it can have that feel to trigger someone who's been through um a dieting yo-yo roller coaster to be like, "Oh, I know how to do this. These are numbers. I'm going to add up my numbers and then oh, I'll be, yeah. you know what I mean, and then I'll be good to go." Um, but that is not the intention of this. The intention of this is to help us understand that mushrooms is its own superfood group for a reason. We've dedicated a show to mushrooms, right? And it's no surprise that that is one of the top 3 foods on your Nutrivore score list because it has incredible nourishing properties for the body. And that's not because it's, you know, good or bad or these kinds of things. It's because it is incredibly powerful for for healing and for food. So when we talk about organ meats being rigged high and what we can do instead, this is not to say you're bad if you don't eat them or something like that. That's I I know we both Do not mean that at all. And I just want to be like explicitly clear. And if you find yourself leaning into that you know, call yourself out on it and, I don't know, put a post-it note somewhere like, are you doing this? Um, Because that kind of stress has a negative impact on your health and we need to be pulling that from ourselves just like we would pull a food that triggers us because it really will harm your health the more you stress about and the more you create that kind of conditioning in your mind.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that you emphasized that because I recognize um, that one of the side effects of giving foods a score is that it it can make certain foods look less valuable if their score is lower, even though those foods actually may be a particularly rich source of a nutrient that maybe is harder to get. And so one of the things that um, that our, our listeners will see as they, you know, as NutraVor launches and uh, I do have some really cool things coming that I'm not ready to talk about, but um, that is sort of under the the NutraVor umbrella, that's going to be some pretty extensive resources. Um, So one of the, one of the things that I've, I've really given a lot of thought to is how we define the idea of a superfood. And I think one way to define a superfood is obviously a high nutrivore score but that's not the only way to define a superfood. So I think the other ways that a food could sort of get that status uh, which I I know I use the term superfood a lot but I I think um I think this is really helpful to understand is there are some foods that don't um necessarily have a really high nutrivore score which means they don't have a ton of nutrients per calorie, but at the same time, they're really valuable sources of some particular nutrients. So for example, a lot of the onion family foods, um, don't have these super, super high scores. So like the score of garlic is 568. The score of watercress is almost 10,000. Watercress is the highest NutriVore score of anything I've calculated so far. Um, so 568 is great. It still would qualify as sort of a high nutrient density food, but it's not in that like super amazing over like 2000 ish um Nutra4Score range. But I think garlic still qualifies as superfood because it has these really amazing antioxidant organosulfur compounds, allicin and allicin, that reduce risk of cancer and cardiovascular disease have some anti-inflammatory benefits like they're they're really important phytonutrients for us and so being a unique source of of these phytonutrients I think that still gets garlic still gets to be on that superfood pedestal and then I think the other way that we can think of superfoods in general, is looking at foods that have been shown in scientific studies to substantially improve markers of health or reduce disease risk. And the best example I can come up with that are nuts and seeds. So nuts have a nutrivore score that kind of ranges between about 200 and sort of caps out at Brazil nuts, sort of around 700. Um, And they're pretty good sources of minerals, uh, polyphenols, especially healthy fats and fiber. But they're also really energy dense, which is what ends up having them have a lower score. And at the same time, there's a huge body of scientific literature showing that it's kind of this like special interaction of the nutrients that they do contain that they benefit the gut microbiome. There's a bunch of studies showing that they reduce cardiovascular disease, risk, cancer risk, neurodegenerative disease, kidney disease, diabetes, infections, mortality from from respiratory disease, like that's that's and really substantial m- magnitudes of effect. So I think that also earns nuts and seeds sort of that superfood status. So I also sort of want to make clear that the NutriVore score is one tool for understanding how to be a NutriVore. It's not the only tool. Um, And also because it's really helpful to understand that, right, even though Watercress has this like super high NutriVore score, the the highest of anything I've I've calculated, if you only ate... (laughs) watercress. So if you, if that was the only thing that you ate, you said, "Okay, that's the biggest number I am just going to eat that." I mean, it's a super extreme example. I I don't know if anyone would enjoy that much w- watercress. You'd actually have to eat 285 cups of watercress to get 2000 calories. It's it would be a lot. It would be it would be crazy. Um but what would happen is even though you would reach the recommended daily allowance of most vitamins and minerals, you would be lacking in nutrients that are more commonly found in animal foods. So you wouldn't get enough vitamin D, enough vitamin B12, enough choline, enough omega-3 fats. You'd even be missing out on some essential amino acids like methionine and tryptophan. You would only get a small collection of polyphenols, so you'd miss out on the full diversity of polyphenols. You wouldn't get the really special non-proteinogenic amino acids that we're going to talk about in organ meat, like taurine and carnitine and carnosine and creatine. You'd miss out on some of the special phytonutrients like the organosulfur compounds in the onion family, or like the ergothionine, also called the longevity vitamin in mushrooms, right? So if even though you'd be eating something that has a super high nutrivore score, if you only focus on that, it doesn't actually add up to a nutritionally complete diet. So, so that's why it's, I think really helpful. And of course, you know, as I, as I build out NutriVore.com and build out all of the resources that I'm working on to get there, um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to give people a collection of tools to understand a for Kelly, where organ meat fits in, but also that it's not as simple as just always choosing the higher score. The score is really helpful for identifying nutrient-dense foods, but it is one tool and a collection of tools to help us really craft a diet that meets our nutritional needs.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Modern Fertility.
1: We're all about choosing nutrient-dense foods, but as we've covered many times on the show before, there's always a time and a place for supplements, and the increased demand for key nutrients through pregnancy and lactation is one of those times.
0: I wish I'd started taking prenatal vitamins earlier to build up those nutrient stores, as is recommended. Of course, you can't always predict pregnancy. Cole was quite a surprise, but that's why Modern Fertility Hormone Test is good to use. I thought I was infertile, and clearly I was wrong. Yep. Uh, Modern Fertility is actually all about empowering us through information
1: and supporting fertility essentials throughout reproductive age.
0: I love that their prenatal vitamin has 12 essential nutrients recommended by OBGYNs to support your body before, during, and after pregnancy. I took prenatals while I was nursing and pregnant with the other two. And Modern Fertility has done their research. I'm really impressed with the more digestible
1: and active nutrient forms Modern Fertility has chosen for their prenatal multivitamin like using l 5 methyl tetrahydrofolate instead of folic acid. And say that three times fast. They even make sure to balance iron and other nutrient levels to keep your tummy happy, and they infused every capsule with a hint of citrus to make each serving go down extra
0: easy. I wish this had existed when I was pregnant because my prenatal vitamin gave me a horrible stomach ache. Mine too. I also love the packaging. The prenatal multi comes in this beautiful blue reusable glass jar, and each month's shipment of refills comes in this pouch to cut down on packaging and waste. Plus, it's vegetarian, gluten-free, and there are zero preservatives or filler ingredients you don't
1: need. But for our listeners with dairy allergies, do know that this supplement contains casein from milk.
0: Your prenatal multi subscription gets you 60 capsules per month for $30. But right now, you, listeners, can get 30% off their starter kit, including one month of capsules and a free glass storage jar at modernfertility.com slash wholeview30. That's modernfertility.com slash
1: wholeview30. That's wholeview30 for 30% off your Modern Fertility prenatal multivitamin starter kit. Again, that's modernfertility.com slash wholeview30.
0: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I love that we can recommend a service that will match you with a licensed professional therapist based on your specific needs. Therapy is an essential part of overall well-being and has been life-changing for our whole family. Myself, Matt, and our kids all go. I've benefited greatly from therapy personally
1: myself, ranging from just having someone to talk things through with to skill building workshops offered by my therapist. One of the things that has been super valuable for me is having that guidance on
0: how to effectively set
1: realistic goals that align with my values.
0: BetterHelp can match you to start communicating in under 48 hours. I can't find that locally. And I love that they have a broad range of experts that you may not be able to find otherwise locally. BetterHelp provides access for clients worldwide. It's important to emphasize that
1: BetterHelp is not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy.
0: BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change therapists if needed. You can even read testimonials about their therapists posted daily at BetterHelp.com/reviews. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. And they have information on their website about insurance coverage too. Our listeners can visit BetterHelp.com/wholeview. That's Better H-E-L-P and join over. 2 million people have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so
1: many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional
0: therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for you listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash wholeview. Okay, so let's dive in. What? Where are we with organ meat? When we say organ meat, do we want to? Are we generalizing, like an an average of all of them? Because you know mm-hmm. I've mentioned liver several times, but um, I actually take the organ complex from Paleo Valley, which has it's the only one that I've seen. Maybe there's others on the market that also has like kidney and some other things in it as well, which have slightly different nutrient profiles, right?
1: Yeah. So, um, what I have done again, I've, I've calculated neutral scores of about 300 ish foods. And, um, I've tried to find as many different foods within each, like very granular food group. So thinking of leafy greens as its own food group, mushrooms as its own food group, cruciferous vegetables, uh, as its own food group. So organ meat, again, sort of as its own food group. So there's about 20 different scores that go into this average. It includes heart, liver, kidneys, and giblets uh, generally um, from a variety of different animals. And the average score is 1,986 out of all the ones that I've calculated so far. Um, And, you know, top tends to be liver, um, tends to be much higher. So most of the livers are sort of in the three to 4,000 neutral score range. Um, and the less nutrient dense tend to be poultry organs, especially things like giblets. But it's important, I think, to kind of look at how this, what this tells us about this whole food group, This, what it tells about this whole food group is that this organ meats are incredibly nutrient dense. The only groups of foods that I have sort of done the same thing and the average of are higher, are those ones I just mentioned, cruciferous vegetables, that's like broccoli, kale, cabbage, leafy greens, mushrooms, fresh herbs, and tea and coffee, actually. Um, but keep in mind that tea and coffee, there's like a calorie per cup. So even though they offer you a lot of nutrient per calorie, you'd actually have to drink uh, an unreasonably large amount in order for that to add to your diet nutritionally. So remember, the nutrient score is nutrients per calorie, so we have to think of low calorie foods, like all of these ones quite differently, right? So you'd average like 25 calories per serving for crucifers, leafy greens, and mushrooms. Um, so you would get a lot of nutrients for that 25 calories, but with organ meats per serving, you're getting about 120 calories. So per serving, you're getting two to three times more nutrients than even the most nutrient dense vegetables. So it helps us to understand, you know, I think it's more meaningful to understand the nutrients per calorie and then understand the 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 energy density of a food, right? so so certain foods, if they have high energy density and low nutrients, those are the foods that would qualify as empty calories, right? So those are your refined sugars, your you know, isolated fats and oils, right? Organ meats are the most nutrient dense food per serving, even if they're not the most nutrient dense per calorie. And when you start to look at averages in terms of essential nutrients, um, they are what are called an excellent source. So an excellent source is is technically defined as providing 20% of the daily value of a nutrient uh, per serving or more. So they are an excellent source of protein, iron, phosphorus, zinc, selenium, vitamin A, vitamins B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, B7, B9, B12. That's all the Bs. And CoQ10, which is super, super important for cardiovascular health. But they provide over 100% of the daily value per serving of selenium, vitamin A, vitamin B2, vitamin B7, and vitamin B12. So one basically like three and a half ounce serving of organ meat is giving you over your full daily amount of a number of nutrients. Plus, they're also a good source of omega-3s. If they're from grass-fed animals, they've got CLA, conjugated linoleic acid. And then these really important non-proteinogenic amino acids and peptides that have been shown to be very, very beneficial, taurine, creatine, carnosine, carnitine, and anserine. So these are not nutrients we've talked about on the show before but generally you know they're all associated with health improvements they all have biological roles they're all um, sort of absorbed into the body um, from digestion because they're all fairly small um, molecules and I think it's it's really exciting to sort of look at these other functional nutrients that organ meat have that are, not super common in other foods, foods that have these, uh, again, sort of non-proteinogenic means they're not being used to build protein. Um, but they're still really important amino acids. And again, you know, small peptides, um, other foods that have them tend to be like fish, shellfish. Um, some of them can also be found in, in pretty good quantities in red meat. And so when we look at this list of nutrients that organ meat has, and kind of look at what's the food that Kelly could eat instead that is going to be as nutritionally impressive. The closest food group nutritionally is shellfish. And it's actually the next highest NutriVore score average animal food. So it's NutriVore score averages, 1,061 shellfish. um, And they contain many of the same nutrients as as organ meat, which makes them um, a fairly good, substitute, but it it's interesting to to dive into the data and really look at um how much shellfish would replace that one serving of organ meat
0: I love this. And honestly I feel like I'd kind of done that in my head and I feel very validated. Um <laughs> but you know how I feel about numbers. I'm a numbers geek. Um I think also what's interesting is this evaluation that you were mentioning earlier about the score, like per calorie. And I think that's why someone trying to sit down and do, you know, like a, oh, if I just do everything just so, then, you know, I can have this and dot, 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 leading to treating food like something other than nourishment, right? And I think that it's important that you kind of called out like coffee and tea or watercress or these kinds of things. Like they might have a high score, but you can't just only eat them. Um, And being able to look and evaluate what is the food that's not just like nutrient dense, but that also kind of crosses with the nutrients that you would otherwise find in organ meat. And I know for me, Um, seafood has been something that, again, I didn't eat a lot of growing up, but that I really enjoy and try to put on my table more often. And when I eat out shellfish in particular is something that I try to order out all the time. Like I had oysters for my 40th. We went to like an oyster bar outside for my 40th birthday because I'm like, this is what I want. I want to have champagne and oysters. (laughs) Um, I mean, that sounds like a perfect day, let alone birthday to me, which well, sounds excellent. And like, it's just ironic to me that like, I think of oysters as like this, this like wonderful, amazing food that I love so much and i put it on a pedestal and then like it relates to liver and I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want that. <laughs> like hard, <laughs> hard pass, even though I know it's good for me. So, and I think that's one of the things that we all need to do with our own approach to being nutritionally sufficient, right? Like whether that's supplementing with organ meat, like I do, and then leaning more into shellfish, maybe someone else doesn't eat shellfish or has an allergy or, you know, it grosses them out. There's a lot of people who think that oysters are gross. Then, you know, what, what can we do to kind of alternate? And I think that's where this like bio-individual approach and kind of learning, not just what your favorites are, but like of the foods that we need to be nutri- nutritionally sufficient, what are those favorites and then how can we incorporate them into our lives so that we are nourishing our body with all these different elements that you talked about sufficiently?
1: If if you could see me, if this was video medium, you would see me <laughs> nodding along emphatically.
0: And saying 100%. <laughs> I
1: 100% agree completely. Um, yeah. So actually, I also grabbed the data on fish. Fish is kind of like the next. So in, in animal foods, it goes organ meat, then shellfish, then fish, and then kind of like everything else. Um, and then dairy dairy is actually the the lowest nutrient density, especially cheese. Cheese is the lowest nutrient density animal food. Um, eggs are actually kind of in between fish and like red meat and poultry, um, which surprised me, actually. This has been one of the things that's been so um, just academically interesting for me, calculating all of these scores is the number of surprises. It's just, um, it's been so enlightening for me. It's actually changed a lot of the ways that I construct meals at home. Uh, it's made me choose different foods, just knowing, you know, the difference in, in nutrient density of foods that would take the same place, uh, on a plate. Um, so it's been, it's been really exciting and, uh, all of this information is is coming in NutriVore.com. It's uh, coming in some other resources that I again I'm not ready quite ready to talk about, but very very soon. Um, so it's um, it's something I'm really excited to to put out there in in the world as a tool. But I do recognize shellfish as a common allergy, so I grabbed fish data as well to compare it to organ meat. And actually, what's really cool is that. Shellfish fares fairly well in terms of uh, comparison to organ meat. Um, There's some nutrients even that it does better. Um, So for example, shellfish has more zinc and more manganese and obviously more omega threes. But when it comes to omega threes, like fish wins. Um, Fish actually wins for CoQ10. That completely shocked me. Um, and fish wins for, for phosphorus and for protein. Um, but all, all three of these, if, again, if we sort of think of these really granular food groups, like define a food group based on, uh, nutritional proximity rather than these like broad groups, like if we just lump all fruits and vegetables together because we grow them on a farm, right? I think that's just, um, misleading in terms of understanding how to eat, healthily. I think understanding, you know, divide our, our foods into 25-ish food groups, I think actually helps us understand the nutritional value of these foods in a in a much more accurate way. I realize it's also a lot more to keep track of than just four or five food groups, but it, it really is, I think, helpful to understand each vegetable family as its own food group, each fruit family as its own food group. And when you look at animal foods, right, dividing them into six-ish, seven-ish different food groups. Again, I think it it really helps us understand the value of each. So when we look at these nutrients, um, you know, I mentioned uh, the ones that organ meat were really high in. Um, organ meat has about a little over three times more iron than shellfish on average. Um, a little bit less zinc. Organ meat has about two-thirds of the zinc. Organ meat is not a great source of manganese, but shellfish is. Um, Organ meat does have more selenium. So again, it's like 113% of the daily value, whereas shellfish sort of averages around 88%. Um, The vitamin A content of of shellfish is is underwhelming compared to organ meat. Organ meat is definitely our top source of vitamin A, 235% of the daily value compared to only 5%. Um, so that's definitely a, a place where where other foods would have to fill in that gap. And of course, organ meat is just like a rock and awesome source of every single B vitamin. Um, shellfish in general does pretty well with b two, b three, b five, b six, b seven, and b twelve. It doesn't have as much folate, but there are other good sources of folate out there. Um, it doesn't have as much b B1, one, but b one's not that hard to get enough of. Um, doesn't have very much choline, but again, choline's not that hard to get enough of. So, um, so they do fairly well. I think the big thing, uh, B12 is one of the most valuable B vitamins, uh, in organ meat. Again, organ meat on average, on average has over a thousand percent of the daily value of B12 in a three and a half ounce serving. Uh, shellfish has about 400% of the B12 in a four ounce serving. Um, and it's the, the mollusk family that have the most B12. So, um, you'll get much more similar to organ meat if you're choosing oysters, clams, and mussels than if you're choosing like shrimp and squid and crab. So again, that's, that's going to be even closer. And then, um, I don't have enough data to do a proper comparison, but all of these foods contain those really unique animal food nutrients arnisine, carnitine, carnosine, creatine. Um, I do have data on taurine. And in that case, shellfish wins. So um, shellfish actually has more than, than organ meat on average. Um, so all of these things, you know, we're going to be able to do fairly well. And fish actually has more B vitamins um, than, than shellfish. Not as much B12, but still an impressive amount. Way more omega-3s, wins for coq 10 uh, not as mineral-rich. So shellfish tends to be quite mineral-rich. Fish tends to be more vitamin-rich. But between the two of them, um, we actually can nutritionally be nutritionally equivalent to organ meat on average. Um, obviously, the same variety, uh, principles are always going to apply variety of foods equals variety of nutrients. So choosing different shellfish and different fish and different organ meat is always going to be the best. Um, but you know, when we look at this, it looks like, you know, if you take your one serving of organ meat, you can closely, um, match it nutritionally with a serving or two each of shellfish and fish. Um, and so if you think about eating organ meat, three times a week as an ideal, as an ideal. I, I realized that, um, a bunch of people just, uh, reflexively turned off the podcast, had to take a deep breath and then are listening again right now. Um, but that's what we teach in the autoimmune protocol. Um, we can, if, if we were going to like completely not eat organ meat and we really wanted to meet that same nutritional abundance that organ meat can give us, um, choosing shellfish and or fish basically daily is is about the right trade-off.
0: And I choose to do that with supplements <laughs> because I I used to try to force myself to get that in. I was not getting it daily and then I was beating myself up about it and I'm like, you know how to solve this problem? It doesn't mean that I don't still prioritize seafood, but it does mean that I'm, I'm kind of accepting the fact that organ meat is not something that we like to prepare more than eat, honestly. Um, and that's just kind of a food aversion factor. Uh, so I ensure that I get these nutrients a different way. Um, but also that wasn't enough for me, as I mentioned earlier. And so Mm -hmm. I need, I needed to test and, um, have been adding more seafood and also um, making sure that I'm getting sufficient supplements every day to meet those needs because you gotta you gotta protect the nutrient stores for your for your health and longevity not for aesthetics that's what this is all about
1: right? <laughs> well I, and I love that you brought up the importance of nutrient testing I mean there's lots of different options out there for nutrient testing to see where you're at and you know, really um, severe deficiency typically cannot be rectified with foods. It depends on exactly what it is um, and how hard that thing is to get in abundance from foods. Um, but this is where working with a, you know, a good healthcare provider, uh, a functional medicine specialist, or an integrative medicine doctor, uh, or if you're AIP, working with an AIP coach. Um, and and really like test don't guess is really helpful. And the other thing here that I want to to recommend to Kelly, um, but also all of our listeners who are kind of going like, ooh, this NutriVore thing is really interesting. How do I even know if I'm getting all of the nutrients I need from foods? There are a couple of apps that give you micronutrient data. It's not quite as comprehensive of data as what I'm. Trying to pull together for, for NutriVore, but it's close. The one that I really like is called Chronometer, and it can help you um, really identify whether or not you're on track to meet your nutrition targets. One of the things that I like to do with it is actually um, try to, you know, t- I, t- I try to take like a, a three day food journal. I'm not very Good with logging every day. It's not great for my mental health. Um, but I like to check in every few months and just see if I'm on track. And if I see that something is thematically falling short, I don't worry if I fall short of a nutrient or two on, on a specific day. But if I'm consistently falling short on that nutrient, then I know it's something that I need to adjust for. And so it can help me identify foods that can be an extra focus so that I can make sure that I am meeting those shortfalls. So I think that tracking micronutrients is a great a great strategy for just looking at the overall nutritional quality of, of our diets and really figuring out like, okay, what what is the small adjustment ideally within foods that I still like that I can I can make? Um, and I think Stacy, your point of uh, whole food supplements, is awesome. Um, we've talked about the paleo Valley organ complex on the show before. Um, I also really like smidge brand, um, liver pills and they have a encapsulated oyster as well called oysters Inc. Um, so they're also fantastic. We'll put links in our show notes. Um, but that's another way to get there. If organ meat is just not, uh, if we're not ready for that, um, there's, there's quite a few different companies now that are making encapsulated organ meat or encapsulated fish or shellfish capsules. And, um, I take them every day, even though I still do try to, to cook organ meat for my family once or twice a week. Um, it's just a wonderful way to keep it simple and keep it low stress and make sure that I'm getting those nutrients and, um, And that way it's also, um, it's accessible for my whole family, right? Like it's just, it's for me, that's, um, it's a
0: super straightforward solution. Agreed. And for those people that do want to venture into ways that you can do this, my favorite happens to be gravy. I really love gravy and you can just plop the organ meats in the water. You don't have to like touch them as much, um, you can check out our episode where we kind of like dove more into this with options and details on episode three forty seven how to eat nose to tail and it will also mention that um ironically uh I have a lot of organ meat recipes in beyond bacon in particular and then also real life paleo and then Sarah has cookbooks as well that include organ meat recipes and we both have the paleo have them. approach the paleo approach cookbook has an entire organ meat chapter. chapter and then we both have them on our blogs although not as much so um 347 is a good place to start i will say my my two favorites are um like a liver pate which again we just put it in a blender and um put it with delicious things or a gravy those end up being things that I will actually eat without it feeling like it's a chore Uh, but I know Sarah your family likes um, in the burgers with bacon and um, beef like 50 50 50 but there's lots of different ideas and details that we go into on that show that will help you add it in if you want to try from that perspective though if it's not something that is going to work for you I love that you know hopefully you feel like there's less dogma around well can you still be Nutrivore if you don't eat organ meats yes um can you still get those nutrients yes not without being mindful um and so i just i want to emphasize that If tracking those nutrients to be mindful, like for me, if I have to record what I'm eating and I put it into an app, I have all this disordered eating that immediately comes into play, right? Like I do all these mind games with myself because I have issues and trauma around recording my food and reporting them, even though it's like an anonymous source that I'm doing myself on my phone, it just does not work for me. Testing is what does work for me, right? Because not only do I know what I'm getting, but I can also kind of look at, okay, am I am I getting enough of these nutrients? So I would highly recommend that what whatever it is that you're approaching, especially when you're trying to heal, that you come at it from the perspective of releasing some of that energy around the diet dogma and focusing more on really nourishing yourself and making sure that you're nutrient sufficient. And if you're not, that's not a slight on you. That doesn't mean you've done something wrong or you're bad. It means, great, now I have this information that I can use going forward. So if you want to hear what we really think, and I'm sure a lot of that mindset chat's going to make its way in, um, as well as maybe some of the uh, real life ways that Sarah and I approach this, you can join us over on Patreon where we have an additional weekly episode every week without ads that is a way for you to support us and become part of our fam and you get exclusive perks like that um q a show that we previewed to you but i hope that you'll join us over on patriot.com patreon.com slash whole view uh say that three times fast and i want to thank you so much for listening and to kelly for her awesome question thanks for listening and we'll be back next week
1: We love providing the whole view podcast for you as a free resource. You can support the show by using the links and codes we share in our podcast. And we love to read your reviews and chats wherever you listen. And don't forget to share our
0: podcast with your friends and family. Speaking of chat, did you know that you can get exclusive behind the scenes content on Patreon? When you support us with your Patreon membership, you get access to live Q and A's and weekly bonus audio, but they're not for kids ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can also stay in touch with us via our social media channels. I'm at Real everything Blog. And I'm at the Paleo Mom.
1: And we've got more great resources on our websites and in our newsletters.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death